your Bible or a phone or some device, you'll be looking at the Scripture with us. Um, we'll be in Luke chapter 6, Gospel of Luke chapter 6. Um, so we've been working our way through this Gospel for the last several weeks. We'll be here for the next few months. Um, Luke is um, writing an orderly account looking to put at ease from um, fear and insecurity that Theophilus and others are having, looking to write this orderly um, account from John the Baptist through the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus and into the first generation or so of the church. And last week what we saw um, in this sermon um, on, the, on, the, on the plains that Luke begins from Jesus was him beginning to turn some things on their head, right? Like he, so we have a series of warnings and a series of blessings where he's saying, listen, there's some behavior that if, you're, if you don't stop this, there are some warnings, some woes that are coming. And he, he weaves in there also some blessings. And he's turning life on its head, right? He's beginning to talk about, listen, it, it's better to be weeping, it's better to be poor, it's better to be hungry. And he's talking on a spiritual level because it reveals our need, our, our desperate need for God versus being self-sufficient, which wealth in this world can do. It can make us miss our spiritual need because we're comfortable and we're secure and we're at ease. And so he's ultimately beginning to, to just teach them the reminder that this isn't our home. Right, that we're headed somewhere and that this place is never going to satisfy us in the way that we're ultimately longing for. And so we're going to pick up um, in Luke 6, beginning in verse 27, and we'll con- um, continue uh, this sermon that Jesus is having. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love, but love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful." And so he continues from last week with this kind of flipping things on the head, shocking folks with the warnings and the woes and the blessings to it continuing with a hard topic. Right? It, it, it's shocking, this, this ethic that he's beginning to lay out. as He's beginning to, to challenge and to exhort and command us in how to walk. And so it's one that is likely familiar that you've heard this um, reference um, but it doesn't make it easy to receive, um, even if it's simple to understand. So let's look at verse 27, this initial, but I say to you, love your enemies. Now listen, his crowd would have, would have heard 
enemies, and they would, could have been thinking on a lot of levels. They could have thought on a national level, right? They have Rome, this occupying army. Um, that, that's an enemy, right? We want them gone. They could have been thinking on a religious level for those who, who persecute or hurt them um, or hold them down. They could have been thinking on a more local, like personal level of, of family relationships, neighbors, shopkeepers who have done them wrong. Um, maybe they're thinking about the local tax collector, right, who kind of represents a local enemy and also the national occupying enemy. And so it's an enemy on multiple levels, right? And, and ultimately what Jesus is saying here, he just gets straight to the point. He just, he just says, I want you to act in a way that's going to go against all of your natural inclinations in the way that feels most normal and natural to us. We're going to love in a way in Christ that looks very different from that. This morning, did you hear the word enemy, right? Potentially names and faces come across your mind, right? Maybe you think on a bigger um, national or political level or international. Maybe you think um, in regards to an entity or a corporation. Um, maybe it's a, it's a whole group of people. Or it may be a specific face, like a name, a person, a family, an individual, a friend, a former friend, a coworker, someone who has wronged you and hurt you, and they've moved from someone that you're struggling with to like the word enemy almost feels not strong enough. In most religious systems, especially in just our natural order, if we even move out of religious systems, Right, the idea of like hating those who have been bad to you, who have been your enemy, doesn't feel that far-fetched. It feels normal and natural. Um, my last night in Yemen, um, I went and had coffee, tea, um, and late at night with um, a local guy that we had walked with and, and who had lived in our neighborhood for a couple of years. That we'd been there, and we were sitting out at this little street cafe. And as we sat down, like we have a flight out the next morning. Um, this gentleman looks at me and he goes, Hey, I just want you to know I'm here to kill you. And that's how he started the conversation. This is a guy I've known for two years. And, you know, there's not a lot of words that come flowing at that moment, right? So I'm looking at him and I said, Okay, can I ask why? He says, Yeah. When you came to my country, you were, you were ignorant. Right, you were you were naive. He's like, but you've now heard and seen and been taught, and you've rejected what we believe, and so that makes you an infidel, and it's now my duty to kill you. And so, listen, I'm I'm reticent to even tell this story, um, because what I don't want to do is stoke hate, even in your own heart. But as as I'm sitting there listening to him, and he says, so I'm I'm sitting here and I'm processing this, and he's like, I just don't know if I'm going to do it or not. I said, well, while you're considering it, I'm going to get up and go ahead and leave. And I got up and uh, I, I got home as quickly as I could. Um, and um, I told that story to a group of freshmen one year. And we were teaching on the Middle East at the high school. And they said, well, did he do it? So I made it. I made it, okay? Um, so... We, we get out on a flight, we fly home, um, and within the first couple weeks we're home. Um, a gentleman in, in this community who would um, espouse, like he would say he's a Christ follower, saw me 
in a restaurant. He came up to me and he said, Hey man, um, welcome back to the States. I know you're glad to be out of that place. What's the best way to kill all those cockroaches? And so I had bookended right at the end of my time in Yemen with this idea that it's okay to hate because we disagree in belief, that I was now someone's enemy, and I came back to someone who would blame Jesus who was saying the same thing. And yet Jesus here is telling us, hey, he's not saying you shouldn't have enemies, right? Like he's not saying that enemies aren't going to exist in this fallen and broken world. He's like, you, you love them. You don't hate them. You don't, you don't continue to, to drive fear and hate and, and discord. And so he is saying something shocking here. And so whether for you it is on a national, uh, geopolitical level, or whether it is on a very personal level this morning, he's going to walk through what does it look like to love your enemies. Some of the ways he's going to say, look at verse 28. So bless those who curse you. I'm in the end of verse 27. Do good to those who hate you. And then pray for those who abuse you. So, so do good. He's saying be active. It's not just that you remove yourself from the situation. He's like you actively can do good in their life. Listen to how Paul writes this. This is in Romans uh, chapter 12. Beginning in verse 17. He writes this. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, because you're only half of the equation, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but instead overcome evil with good. We see this ethic beginning to move in the heart of the church that says, hey, we don't retaliate and we don't respond like the world does, and granted, we know it's difficult. It is simple to hear and to understand, and it is so difficult to master and to live out. So we do good practically. He also says, bless those who curse you. Listen, blessing someone who curses you feels like you're letting them off the hook, right? It, it, it feels good sometimes to hate somebody. It can feel good to be angry and to feel justified. And can you believe how they talk to me? Can you believe the things that they've said or they've done? And he says, but I want you to bless them to speak good, right? It's one of the ways that we're loving them is that we're doing good and we're speaking good, that we're not repaying evil for evil. And then he says this, Pray for those who abuse you. Pray for them. We have a couple of examples of this in Scripture. In Luke 23, when Jesus right, is on the cross, as He is about to succumb and die, what does He say to those? He says, Father, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who is being stoned um, and, and for, for preaching, right? he says this, as he is being murdered. Verse 59, chapter 7. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, right, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Like, he was, like his last thing was, God, don't like, forgive them. As they're killing me for you, forgive them. Like, 
We've seen Stephen live out this ethic. We've seen Jesus not just teach it in Luke 6, but that he lives it out in Luke chapter 23. And so these um, begin to right, just kind of gnaw at us a little bit, right? Because it feels so foreign and so strange. Paul writes simply in Romans 10.1, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. Like what a simple but powerful prayer. That as you think of your enemies, whether they're political or ethnic, right? Whether it's someone personal or someone far off, that our prayer for them would be, God, save them. Rescue them. Redeem them. So that they're no longer our enemy. And so these are kind of some general, big picture things. And then he gets into some more specific ones. Look at verse 29. So to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. When he says striking you on the cheek, um, commentators disagree on this. Some say um, it's kind of like a backhanded um, slap, which is just meant to be an insult, like you're being insulted, um, which is hard to take. Others are like, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a sock to the jaw. It's physical violence. But ultimately, if it's physical violence or an insult, does it really matter? Because what, what we're being called to here is to expose the other one, to be vulnerable to insult, into insults or violence. Listen to what he continues. Um, if the one takes your cloak, don't withhold your tunic. He's like, if you're being robbed here, he's like, let him have it. He continues, the one who begs from you, give. The one who takes away, don't demand it back. Now listen, Jesus here in this sermon is speaking um, with a level of hyperbole. It is exaggerated speech to make a point. But if we're not careful, here's what we do. We hear Jesus speaking in hyperbole. We hear him kind of exaggerating to make a point, And we go, whew, I'm off the hook. I don't have to do any of this. That's not the heart's, um, that's not the desire that we're being called to have here. It's not an out. He is saying, Christian, one who has been transformed by love and grace and forgiveness and mercy, your expected demeanor, your expected attitude is to be vulnerable and suffer at the hands of others rather than gaining vengeance. He's not talking about um, never putting up appropriate boundaries. Okay? Like if you are being abused by a relative, by someone, like you get out of that. Right? You get out of that. You don't allow those, you put up a safe and appropriate boundary. And that's why he gives us the call to still pray, right? But we're praying, God, would they no longer be an enemy? Would you rescue them? Would, would they see you? Would they change? Would they be transformed? so that they're no longer an enemy. So some of these are like removed. Right? You don't have to be someone's best friend. You don't have to put yourself in close proximity. But he's saying your enemies, right, um, ultimately are spiritual. That we have an enemy, the devil, prowling around looking to devour. And that our battle is spiritual. And he uses people as pawns and as tools um, to, to hurt us but that our battle ultimately isn't against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And so that we're asking the Lord, would you redeem and rescue and save them that they would no longer be our enemy? 
And one of the ways that we do that is that we don't respond like the world responds to violence and to, to insult. He finishes it with the golden rule in verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do it to them. Right? He's like, live this way. He's going to continue. He's going to give them another thought here. It's not just practical, but kind of it begins to, to wrestle in their mind. To consider, is there been any change, any transformation? Look at verse 32. So if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? He's like, so even ordinary people, even just average people, love the people who love them. That's just kind of the common course of this world. right? Sinners do this. He's like, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? People do this. For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? When he says lend here, um, in, in this kind of Roman-driven culture, it was often that you would um, give, um, whether it was gift or money, you would lend to someone, knowing that when you were in need, they would, they would give it back. Right? They would reciprocate. And so it was a level of, kind of, I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back. And so you would never lend to someone who couldn't pay you back, right? And it was very self-serving. You, you weren't really putting anything at risk. You weren't really willing to lose anything. You were making sure that you and yours were taken care of, and you were doing that by giving to those who could pay you back. This is like there's no real love here. There's no real risk here. There's no, like you're getting your just rewards because you're just taking care of yourself. So he says, listen, the world already loves one another and gives to one another and takes care of them, themselves if people are doing it back. That's ordinary. What I'm calling you to here is not typical. It's extraordinary. To love, to do good, um, to lend in a way that may not receive love and lending and good back. It looks different. It's extraordinary. So love your enemies, verse 35. Do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now listen, the question that should be probably wrestling in our, and stirring in our heart and our mind is why would anyone want to live like this? Like this is difficult. Why would you want this? It should feel impossible it should feel uncomfortable, and probably what's running through your head are all the ways that you have failed to live up to this. That's normal here. But remember last week when we were told that better, it's better to be spiritually poor or spiritually hungry or weeping because we're aware of our need. Church, apart from Jesus, we are the enemies of God. It's language we don't like to, to, to talk about, we don't like to share, but Romans 5 will say explicitly that we are the enemies of God. We are in need of peace with Him because we have rebelled from Him. We have separated ourselves. We have warred against Him. We've rejected Him, and we have chosen our own way. And if we're not careful, we can almost baptize that language and make it feel like it's not that big of a deal. But I want you to think about when someone has betrayed you, rejected you, spoken evil of you, ignored you, not chosen your way, not listened to your wisdom, and has walked away from you, how do you feel? Like when your kids who you're training up 
and how to live life through those things. It's, it's hurt. It hurts. It's painful. You wonder if you're doing anything right. When, when a coworker or a relative does this, right? When people turn against us, we feel that, that just open, raw brokenness. Then we wonder, can this ever be put back together? And that is one sinner sinning against another sinner. Here we have the Creator, Holy, Almighty God, and we have rejected Him. The, the ripping and the tearing of relationships is far beyond what we can imagine. And so what we are deserving of is damnation, death, separation, hell. Like, so we are the enemies of God. And yet Jesus here has stepped onto the scene at the right time, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Stepping forth to, to live the life we're meant to live, to rescue us, to redeem us, to bring us back to the Father. Listen to Romans 5, 8, and then 10. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Like Jesus is here to redeem and to restore and to bring us back, but we cannot forget that we were enemies. That we're enemies. Remember how Luke began in Luke chapter 1, one of the, the promises that we saw about Jesus in verse 77. In Zechariah's prophecy, he says this, right, as he's talking about the child who's coming, this, this Christ child, this Jesus, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That this prophecy was that this one is coming, this child is coming, this Jesus is coming, and we are sitting as the enemies of God in darkness, in, in, in the in the place of death, and yet forgiveness and mercy is coming. Restoration and hope and joy and peace is coming. And so our holy and innocent God will sin again. And yet, look at verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend. Expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. Why? For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You're talking about us. Like, why am I calling you to live this way? Why am I calling you to do this? Because you've received it. You were ungrateful. You were evil. You were the enemy of God. And you have received something you did not deserve. You've received mercy and grace and redemption and forgiveness and relationship and salvation. And so if we are unwilling to pray for our enemy, that what we are saying is they are far worse than us. God can never redeem or rescue or restore or make them like He's done us. Church, we're evidence that God saves sinners. Like we are evidence in our humility, right? 
that He has rescued those who are far from them, far from Him and brought them into relationship. And so when we look out and say, but that group of people, that type of people, that person, He can't do it. We are forgetting the grace that we have received, the mercy that we have received, that we were once enemies and now no longer are. What He's also doing here is He's showing us that He is building a community that's going to look different. It's not just going to love those who look like you, talk like you, act like you, that He is tearing down the dividing walls and bringing us together. And so the picture here right, is, is of a, a huge table. If you've ever been um, in, maybe in a restaurant where they have like communal seating, right, and everyone hates that, right? you're going in and you're going, where am I going to sit? I don't know these people. This is awkward. Is this seat safe? Like, right, well, you just hate it. We've walked in places, right, where you just knew you didn't belong. And you've been in places where you knew you did. And as you looked up and you saw the one coming in who doesn't belong, they're unfamiliar, they're uncomfortable, you have a choice in that moment. Do I, do I invite them to sit with us? Do I bring them and have them be a part of this? Or do we keep them apart, out, right, so that they know I belong and you don't? Right, this is the emotion and the, the sense and the feel that's being created here is that Jesus has taken those who were once far off, not only from Him, but maybe from one another, religiously, ethnically, politically, morally, and He's putting us at the table. His entire family is made up of those who were once in war against Him, His enemies. And now we are being called sons and daughters of the King, and we are being made family, and we are being told that we belong, not because of your look or your effort or your attempt, but because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus. So he says, this is going to be our family. This is going to be our community. Those who you once would have killed are now going to sit next to you. Those who you once hated are now going to sit across from you. They're going to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if we hate our enemies, if we don't love them, if we don't pray for them, if we don't believe that God can transform, then what hope do we have that He would do it for us? But because He's done it for us, then we don't withhold it from anyone else. So He says, be merciful, verse 36, even as your Father is merciful. This idea comes from Exodus 34, beginning in verse 6. when the Ten Commandments were being received, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Right? He's saying, this is who I am. This is my character. This is what I'm going to do. And so now, church, he's calling us to reflect that character to love our enemies because we've been loved when we were the enemies of God, to live out this ethic and this character. So when you love your enemies, you are displaying the character of God. You are reflecting it. People don't only hear the good news, they're seeing the good news. And Jesus makes sure here that we know this isn't just a thought that we have, it's an action that we actually follow and have to do. It confounds the world. Why would you let them do that to you? Why wouldn't you get vengeance? Why? Right? And you can say, because the Lord has given me grace when I deserve death. 
It's, it's the gospel on display, living out his character and his ethics. Church, when you think of your enemies, it reminds you of your needs. It wants to were you apart from the grace of God. It keeps us humble, keeps us hungry, keeps us longing and wanting more of Jesus. It makes us grateful and it makes us worshipers. Right? The issue begins when we begin to think, I belong at the table. Like, I think my, my name was on the table, like, I've been here a long time. You're going to come in? I don't think so. Right? Like, that attitude is not becoming Jesus. And the mercy and the grace that we've received, we are humble receivers, recipients, glad to offer others to the table who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He is creating a family that looks like Him, that belongs, that outcasts have been brought in. And then, church, the final thing is this. Opportunity for us to trust. Trust that God sees. That He sees the way you're being treated. That He sees the way you're being talked about. That he sees the way that people have betrayed or lied or hurt or abused you. And now we have the opportunity to trust that vengeance is the Lord. And so we pray and ask the Lord to rescue and to redeem and to save them so they're no longer an enemy. But we know that if that's not what happens in vengeance, the Lord is not mine. That he is a good judge where we would be selfish in that. It's a reminder that this isn't our home. That until we are, our faith has been made sight and we are with Jesus forever, this world is broken in need of rescue and restoration. And it's a reminder that this isn't where we are to put down roots, but we are headed home where we will have rest and reconciliation and peace forever, which means that loving your enemies it's something you can only do on this side of heaven. right? You're not going to do that in heaven. There won't be enemies. And so if we're going to obey this command, we're going to do it now. By the power of God, by His Spirit empowering and equipping us. Listen, you aren't capable of this apart from the power and the love and the grace of Jesus. You're not going to want to do it, let alone have the ability to do it. This is something that flows through us because we are connected and redeemed by Jesus and walking in faithfulness. And He pours it out of us. And so church, it means that your life, there can be suffering. It means it can be shortened. It means that you might put yourself in a situation where your life is taken by someone who hates you. But because this world isn't all that we hope in, isn't all that we believe is going to happen. We have eternity awaiting us. And that's okay. Because we trust that Jesus sees and we are secure in His hand. And we want to be merciful even as our Father is merciful. We want to know that our reward will be great because we are sons and daughters of the Most High. And He has been kind to us who are ungrateful and evil. And so we can believe that He will do it to others. Think about Paul who was an enemy of the church. Like, right, at a minimum present when people were being killed. Right, looking to throw people in jail. And now he's coming in and is a brother because of what God has done. 
Would we not ask that God would do that in the lives of those who are opposed to Him and to us even now? This is Hebrews chapter 10. The author of Hebrews is encouraging the church. He writes this, You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Like what seems insane, and it goes against our American ethic. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, one that lasted and would remain. Listen, this world doesn't define who we are, Jesus does. And there is a reward waiting for us, and so we are going to live out an ethic that reflects His character even now, because we know that the kindness of God is what leads us to repentance, and so that we could begin to be that embodied in the lives of others so that they would trust and see that Jesus is faithful. Church, we know this teaching is difficult. Um, by the way, it will continue to be difficult next week, right? We'll get into judgment. Um, and that Jesus is sufficient. He's enough. Would we ask Him, even this morning, um, who is it that I'm unwilling to pray for right now? How would you soften my heart so I could pray for Him? But I believe that you are able to transform the rescue and save them. And as much as possible, on my part, would I live in a manner that would please glorify God in this regard. Because we've been recipients of it first and foremost. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You for hard teaching. God, we say thank You because it's a reminder that we don't save ourselves. That we're not able to live um, the ethic or the expectation that You have for us apart from You. God, we desperately need You. So Lord, this morning, would You um, free our grip of the hate that we might have to certain individuals or certain groups of people. God, would we believe that Your transformative power can rescue and save those who currently hate us or God, who currently hate You? God, would we not be so arrogant as to believe that we didn't once hate You, that we weren't once rebels and enemies of You, and yet You have rescued and made us Lord. So Lord, would You do it? Would You do it for others? Lord, would it roll forth in a way that You would receive glory and praise because You are worthy of all worship and all praise. But we need You. We need You for our hearts and our minds in this hard teaching. God, we want to say thank You that we are no longer Your enemy. In Jesus' name, Amen.